from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. This is Money Talk for November 17th, 2023. Your struggling Green Bay Packers welcome the LA Chargers to Lambeau this Sunday. Your Bucks are home Saturday night, flying host to the Dallas Mavericks. Then they're on the road for the rest of the week. It's National Homemade Bread Day. I don't know how long it takes to bake bread, but honey, I'll be home in a couple hours. <laughs> okay, here we go. Remember the QAnon shaman? Well, that knucklehead who wore a buffalo head dress while he was attacking Congress January 6th, his name is Jacob Chansley, and he served more than two years in prison for his role in the attack. Well, he's running for Congress. So if he wins, who's going to tell him about the dress code? <laughs> this kind of qualifies as a Florida story. A flight from London to Orlando had to turn around after passengers discovered some cabin windows were missing. Several passengers reported it was colder and louder than usual. <laughs> and finally, it's been a busy season for bear sightings because they're getting ready for hibernation. For example... A fast food loving black bear stole a $45 Taco Bell order from the front porch of a home in Orlando. A black bear stole lasagna from a kitchen in Minnesota. A bear made himself at home and was captured on a camera, breaking into a cabin in Idaho Springs, Colorado, and eating food and watching ESPN. <laughs> I just want to see if you're paying attention. <laughs> that was just to see if you were paying attention and a couple more. A three legged bear pilfered some White Claws hard seltzers from the Florida family's outdoor fridge. And my favorite is two bears on a military base in Alaska raided a Krispy Kreme donut van. As Yogi Bear would say, they're smarter than the average bear. <laughs> on the podcast today, we have Art Rothschild, Steve Giles, Joel Driesang, and wrapping up the week, here's Kyle Tedding. Well, thank you, Max. And what a week it was on the back of a, a couple of other good weeks. The NASDAQ up 2.4% this week, closing at 14,125. The S&P 500, a solid 2.2% gain this week, up almost 100 points, closing at 45,14. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average, uh, not too far behind, up 1.9% this week, closing at 34,947 after adding just two points on Friday. It's a nice winning streak for the S&P, 13 of the last 15 days, positive for the index. Uh, most importantly in that stretch, a nice 9.7% gain. And so, you know, I think as we look at kind of what has, what was a, a pretty rough three-month stretch, what we've now captured mostly back with the last three weeks are plenty for investors to be excited about right now, but also maybe some reasons to damper expectations. Yeah, I'm trying to hold my uh, emotions in check on this one, but it really has felt pretty good. Um, it's reminiscent to me a little bit of the post-COVID snapback we had after stocks then went into bear market, falling 30% from February 19th through March 23rd of uh, 2020. When they came back, if, if you missed it, you were in trouble. Uh, this time around, we just had a correction. I mean, stocks went down 10%. That didn't feel real good, but it's part of the game. Uh, we've been building back for good reason. Stocks have been coming back because of some good news on inflation. Uh, the economy seems to be perhaps slowing a bit. Uh, the Fed is potentially done uh, raising interest rates, but they're not going to say that. The market may be getting a little ahead of itself. Investors may be getting a little ahead of themselves and thinking that 
you know, it's all done. But inflation has slowed from over 9 to just over 3%. This is tremendous. So if we can carry this into the end of the year, you know, maybe Santa Claus is coming to town. You know, and Art, I think that the movements in the market over the last two months, two weeks, are a fantastic reminder that you just can't time the market. Yeah, the the challenge, of course, is that those short-term views that market timers rely on, and we really call them traders more than investors, um, they don't really capture all the opportunity that's happened even the last few years. One of the things we were talking about before the show was just looking at how well the market's done since the pre-COVID peak. And if all you look at is the price on the S&P 500, the S&P's added 33.3% since the, the, the pre-COVID peak for the S&P. But it all depends on when you measure. And if all you're doing is measuring from where are we relative to the last high watermark, well, still a negative number. And so I think the challenge with some of that short-term thinking is the more you cut up those time periods, the more you say, well, this is the, the period of time I care about and don't tell me about what happened the last two years, the last five years. Well, yeah, sometimes the worst the story can be. And so um, it really is about looking ahead. Yeah, and, and when we look behind, you can see these patterns, as you just suggested. So as I'm doing reviews for my clients, you know, I'm looking at year to date. I'm looking at the past 12 months. I'm looking at the past three years, five years, 10 years. And for some clients, it's 20 or 30 years. And as you suggested on several occasions, perhaps even at the seminars, expect to make about 6% per year in a well-diversified, well-balanced portfolio. But if you look at the past 12 months, we made money six of those months, and we lost money six of those months. So as Steve suggests, it's time in the market, not timing the market. You've got to stay in the game. And as far as stocks go specifically, we invest in them because we expect them to go up, as you suggest, over long periods of time. Um, and you just can't worry about the day-to-day. You can't worry about what style's in play. You know, questions I've had this week about these Magnificent Seven stocks, and should we double down? on those. It's like, wait a minute, this is not a casino. We're asset allocators. We believe in the markets and in capitalism um, and in the economy, but we're not playing games here. Yeah, I mean, the dealer's showing a six, so you want to you want to double down on that 11. But, <laughs> um, you know, to your point, this isn't the casino. This very much is, all right, what are the fundamentals? What are the underlying fundamentals of the, the market? And the underlying fundamentals suggest that some of those stocks maybe are a little expensive. The underlying fundamentals suggest that there are deals out there in other places. And so do you double down? Well, maybe if you didn't already have enough, but it isn't as simple as reading the blackjack book and going, well, here's the answer in this scenario. And so I think, you know, those are those are critical comments to kind of get beyond just the, well, let's think about this as rolling the dice and get to the point where you start to think about how do we really try to preserve and grow this wealth at the same time? I think one caveat that we can't uh, forget about here, though, with the recent outperformance in the market and this nice run-up we've had in the month of November, it has come on the coattails of what has been bad economic data. Uh, And this whole proverbial bad news is good news, uh, the reason why the market is rallying is really because unemployment has gone up. Uh, Jobs numbers weren't as good as what uh, everybody was expecting. And If those indicators continue, uh, the prospect of the Fed raising rates begins to diminish, which is why the markets have been uh, somewhat um, giddy uh, as we look into next year. Yeah, I think bad news can only be good news for so long, right? That this idea that, um, well, the Fed can't raise, so now, uh, you know, it's off to the races for stocks. Well, yeah, okay, great, but what if the Fed can't raise because the economy's too weak? 
Um, and, you know, da- some, some data this week, Joel, that suggests not that it's too weak, but that um, for sure the slowing that we've been expecting, even hoping for in a lot of cases, has come in. Data on uh, retail sales, data on uh, producer and consumer prices, all pointing to the fact that, yeah, maybe some of that weakness is finally here. Right. Yeah, as, as Art characterized it, I mean, we've had good news on inflation, which means it's coming down. The the disinflation, the the prices aren't going up as fast as they they had been, um, and that the economy is slowing, and and the economy slowing was apparent in the retail prices. We, you know, we always say the consumer spending is two thirds, seventy percent of our gross domestic product, and um, in October we saw that retail sales were down for the first time in uh, since since May. I'm sorry, since uh, yeah. March, I think, first time in a while. Um, um, they 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 hadn't changed at all in um, in in October. That's what it was, and um, it was the it got down to a three point two percent year to year inflation rate, which, as Art mentioned, was down from more than nine percent last summer. So that's that's good. But the the retail sales, I'm sorry. I'm confusing consumer price index and retail sales. That was the consumer price index. The the retail sales actually were down, and that was the first time in seven months. And um, you know, it's it's it was pretty broad. Uh, half of the thirteen major categories of of retail spending um, were down month to month, um, and even year to year, four of those were down, which doesn't happen all that that often. Um, the, the one um, sign that shows that the economy still has some strength to it, though, which is important in all of this because that's the soft landing that, you know, we're not sinking real fast. We're just slowing down. Um, one sign that I found that the economy is still somewhat resilient is that bars and restaurants, sales there were up for the seventh month in a row. Yeah, I think as we look at that retail sales number, um, you know, there is so much nuance built into it of, yes, weakness, but where? And mm-hmm. so, you know, corners of the market that were incredibly hot last year used used automobiles, a great example of something that um, was one of the significant drivers of inflation when we hit that 9% number last summer. Well, yeah, no wonder that year over year doesn't look quite so great for automotive dealers. You're talking about numbers last year where prices were through the roof. Well, prices are starting to back off a little bit. You're talking about um, you know, a lot of people that still can't find the new vehicle they're looking for on lots. And so uh, you add in, uh, unsurprisingly, an, an auto union strike that potentially hurt uh, a little bit. And all of those things make their way into those underlying numbers in a way that isn't immediately obvious. Um, and I think it's one more reminder of how much we've really come through this year. Um, I, you know, go back to my client reviews and I circle the graph on the very first page that shows the performance line year to date and how much up and down it's been. And I go back to March and I circle that first big decline after what was a very strong rally. Well, the first big decline was a banking crisis that could have been as significant as the financial crisis. If we'd allowed it to spill over in the way that the financial crisis did, there's no telling how far it could have dragged us down. But we got through that. And then the next little dip is the potential government shutdown early in the year. And then the next little dip is this later potential government shutdown. We had a pretty big dip, a result of an economy that maybe was a little too hot. And so it's no wonder that as we look at some of this economic data, 
Well, yeah, there's going to be a lot of noise there. The unemployment rate's going to look a little better, a little worse, as Steve pointed out. The the retail sales numbers, yeah, the, the comparisons, especially year-over-year comparisons, a little trickier at this point. And then we got information on producer prices, kind of the, the leading indicator for uh, what inflation looks like. When producers' costs go up, they tend to pass that along to the end consumer and more signs potentially that maybe the inflation problem is getting closer to being under control. Right, the producer price index, the wholesale inflation, actually went down in October by the largest margin since April of 2020 when, you know, we were in the throes of, of you know, the early days of COVID. So that was that was impressive. And what I love about the conversation on inflation is you tell the average person sitting across from you, hey, inflation's come down. And the answer inevitably is, yeah, not what I'm buying. What are you buying? Um, and and the response to that is not, no, here's the basket. The response is, well, inflation coming down doesn't mean that prices have come down. Um, and I mentioned this on the podcast now the last couple of weeks. I've mentioned it in a lot of client meetings. But the higher prices may be here to stay. We're talking about some deflationary pressures in China. We're talking about some deflationary pressure maybe here in some areas. But if you're going to the grocery store and buying a box of cereal, that's probably about what you should expect to pay, unless the box is smaller. One other way they get you on inflation. But unless the box is smaller, you're probably talking about a price that's about what we're expecting going forward. Well, I think it is worth pointing out, too, Kyle, that for the last 15 years, or at least from the uh, global financial crisis, 07, 08, until COVID, uh, with Fed rates near zero for the better part of that 15-year uh, stretch, we had essentially no inflation in the United States. So it's kind of catching up with us all at once. And it really begs the question, would, would we rather have inflation moderate in the 3 to 4% range every year with prices going up nominally, or just take it all at the same time and have it all go up at, at, the, at once in the matter of a, a year or a year and a half? Steve, I actually looked at that. So um, with that 3.2% increase in the CPI in, in October. That was the 32nd month in a row that we've been over the long-range target of 2% that the Fed has had. The 32 months before that, the average was 1.7%. But we have to deal with where we are, and prices are about 18% higher than before COVID was a figure I read. So people are getting still annoyed with having to pay more. But they're making more than ever before in history. The economy is larger than ever before in history. Even though unemployment is slightly higher than it was, um, it's still historically low. And when people are working, they don't have time to spend. So it's not inconceivable that these little declines we have in one thing or another could be offset by gains in other um, areas. So I think we're in a pretty good place, and I think the Fed knows that. So it's not inconceivable um, you're going to see Chairman Powell come out and say, not so fast here. We're not going to lower rates. I don't see any reason for them to lower rates. And, and they're just going to try to keep people cautious because we're not, we're not at 2. We're at 3%. They want to bring things down to 2. Good luck restraining people who've got a bunch of money. And people are making more money than they have in decades on their savings. So, and, and if they've paid their bills and they don't have to go buy a new house or a new car, they've got tons of money. And this was what was so hard uh, a year ago with economists are trying to predict that we would have a recession this year. Nobody could have predicted that the consumer would stay engaged the way that they have this year. 
Um, I mean, maybe it's a function of post-COVID. Maybe it's a function of higher wages. Maybe it's a function of a lot of things. But it, it also points out how hard it is as economists or as forecasters to predict out past a couple of quarters. It's darn near impossible. It's like trying to tell you what, what day it's going to rain in 2025. A couple more signs of the, the slowing economy is that the National Retail Federation um, said that it expects holiday sales to go up between 3 to 4% this year. That compares with 5% last year and 13% in 2021. Yeah, but add that up, that's 20% or something. Sure, yeah. I mean, that's huge. Right. But, but, but yeah, but it's, it's going from 13 to 5 to, to, to 3 to, to 4. To maybe normal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe there's some spending fatigue. Sure. Potentially, and no wonder that some of the retailers are a little more cautious on their guidance. No wonder that as we look at, um, you know, maybe some of the, the earnings forecast, downward projections have, have been part of that. Um, but, but overall, you know, a pretty healthy place to be considering all we've come through. With that, we enjoy doing the podcast for you. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, Email it to moneytalk at landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com. <laughs>